Drew. All right, tonight we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 15 for the main portion of tonight's message. I'm excited again to be able to share God's word with you. It's always a privilege um, and a big responsibility to be able to stand in front of a group of people and share something from God's Word. I also want to publicly apologize for being the reason that Johnny and Kaylee are leaving our church, um, as this is the last message they will hear here for a while. And uh, so you pre-planned. You must have seen my notes. But um, tonight's message uh, revolves around King Saul, the Israel's first king, one that was highly uh, requested by the children of Israel. And uh, we'll see as we study a little bit more about his life, how that was uh, not a wise decision on their part and came with uh, a lot of unintended and negative consequences. But before we dig into his life, and really it could be a whole series of studies um, about this man, let's take a look at the slide uh, that's there, the title slide for tonight. What's one of the first things you notice is not right about the picture. If you're a chess player, what's wrong? It's a pawn, not a king. Um, he has a king's crown, and I think that that is going to play a little bit into tonight's uh, main topic, is that uh, this pawn should not be king, and yet there he is. And then checkers players, what's wrong with the picture? Yeah, you only king someone in checkers. Thank you. My, <laughs> I, know, I know what it meant. I have another meaning for it too. Um, but I showed Savannah that slide last night after I had come up, finally come up with the title. That's sometimes the hardest part. And um, she was almost dead asleep and wakes up again and says, you know, that's supposed to be for checkers, right? <laughs> like, yes, yes, I know. <laughs> so, uh, but you'll see how it plays in as we get further into the message. But let's take a look um, at 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'm going to read the key verses, and then we're going to go on a wild ride and come back to them by the end. This is verses 22 and 23. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Oscar, you can get rid of that slide for us. When we're talking about King Saul, what are some things that are memorable to you from his, anything in his life? Try to think of some good things. A lot of people remember the bad things, but what were some highlights or attributes of King Saul that stand out? Bill. Right. One of the signs um, that Samuel gave to him as a, an assurance that, you know, this uh, uh, anointing is from God. You're going to see this. Um, and then I'm even going to mention kind of a little bit about the cause of that, but yeah, he became a proverb. Is Saul among the prophets, you know, just as he was doing what the Lord said would happen? What else? Say again? Yeah, he hounded David, and that's, I think, pretty much where we kind of remember Saul as this paranoid insecure, knowing that the kingdom is no longer his, um, but holding on to it with a death grip, um, that whole thing. Anything good, he prophesied, anything good about him? He had a humble beginning, yes. In fact, it's, it started out as a good, a good thing, a good choice um, with his first couple of um, instances as king. We'll look more into that. Yes, Will. That's right. Everything was going, seemed to be going his way and going well as he was serving God, and then he made the choice to disobey, and it, it went downhill from there. That is kind of what I wanted to pick out from um, just our knowledge of that. I also think it's funny that, it's interesting, that the Bible does point out that, you know, he finally gets into this crowd of people, and he's head and shoulders above the rest of them, and, and very, like, kingly in that way. They're literally someone they, they can all look up to. 
But let's go ahead. I'm going to highlight some of the, the things that brought him to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And then we'll take a look at Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15 kind of in its entirety so that we can get to those main verses and um, pull from them. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 through 22, we have the, the complaint of the people and the call for them to, be, to have a king instead of following the Lord. Uh, this is because they are starting to feel that the one, Samuel's sons are taking bribes, they're corrupt. Samuel, they have no qualms with him. He has served the people faithfully according to what the Lord has told him to do his entire life. But the sons of Samuel are not fit to be judges. We also have this encircling of Philistines and Ammonites and the Amalekites are a problem. And the people feel like if we're going to war, uh, we don't feel like we can have uh, uh, an elderly judge be leading us anymore. We want a king to meet their king on the battlefield. And and we want to visualize this win. We want tall, dark, handsome, riding on a horse, leading men with chariots uh, into battle. We want to see that for ourselves. Instead of, and it's easy for us to be armchair quarterbacks as we look back, but instead of, you know, God miraculously doing these things time and time again, we don't want to do that. We want to see a guy ride into battle. So just not, not what I would have chosen, but probably what I would have chosen if I were there. So the warning comes. Samuel brings their request to the Lord, and the Lord tells Samuel to give the people what they want, but solemnly warn them um, with the following words. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it out to you. Uh, Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of the king. Verse 11 of chapter 8. And he said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties. And will set them to ear his ground, and to reap his harvest, and to make his instruments of war, and instruments of his chariots. He will take your daughters, to be confectionaries, and to be cooks, and to be bakers. He will take your fields, and your vineyards, and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your seed, and of your vineyards, and give to his officers, and to his servants. He will take your men servants, and your maid servants, and your goodliest young men, and your asses, and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep, and ye shall be his servants. And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. (laughs) If I can just, I know that there are a lot of people that are able to show the significance through deep study of all of the things that that king is going to take. But let me just summarize it for you. If you have a king over you, Instead of the Lord, he will provide for his needs and he will pursue his interests. That's the warning. God so far has really asked very little of you and provided much. But if you make this deal, you are going to suffer at the hands of a man who's pursuing his interests, not guaranteed to be God's interests. Notice what the people say. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken unto their voice, and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, Go ye every man unto his city. In chapter 9, then Samuel encounters Saul uh, through the working of God. He tells Saul that he's going to be king. He privately anoints him. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, uh, then after Samuel has given uh, him the commission of king and has appointed him like God had led Samuel to, he gives him the signs that are a reassurance, certain people he's going to meet, certain things they're going to give him. He's going to meet a company of men who are prophesying, and he will prophesy along with them. And I notice out of all of that in verse chapter 9 of chapter 10, excuse me, verse 9 of chapter 10, that the Bible tells us God 
gave him a new heart. I don't want to necessarily rest on this, but the idea that what's about to happen, this prophesying, is not, you know, suddenly a talent unlocked. You're the king. You can do this. Uh, But that God empowered this to happen as a sign um, to the people and to Saul himself. This is of me. But the main point here will be really focused on later. God gave the heart. It was God's doing. God empowered that to happen. Okay, so keep that in mind, because uh, that's where we're going to get as we parse those last, those two key verses. First Samuel chapter uh, t- 11, Saul um, is king, but then he goes back to farming, basically. And there is an attack, uh, a horrible deal made with some of the children of Israel that, hey, we will not attack you as long as you are willing to have your right eyes poked out or whatever. And Saul is given the news, and he, he steps up to the role of king, hews his own oxen, uh, there in the field into pieces, sends them out across Israel and says, you will join me. We are going to fight these, uh, our enemy, and we will, we will rout them. And after fighting the Ammonites who had tried to bully the Gibeonites into that deal, then there, there really is just this unanimous, he is our king, we want him to be king. Uh, everyone accepts him. And that hadn't been the case when he was first announced. I do want to point out, though, that even though Saul has been given this commission by God, that God has led Saul already in chapter 10, that as I read, why is, why is this not um, focused on his people as of yet? Why is he back farming? Why did we have to go find him, you know? And uh, in chapter... Uh, 10, I believe, at the end of that, as he's being um, chosen the first time, and they're narrowing down the families of Israel, and then they're narrowing it to his family, and then they're looking for him. He's hiding. Didn't mention that, but I might as well now. Uh, where, where is he? You know, and he knows <laughs> that he is king, um, but he's hiding among the stuff. And, he, and for my comic brain, He's the tallest among them, and he's hiding in this stuff. And I just imagine him hiding really poorly, uh, like little head, shoulders above even the stuff. I'm like, there he is. Like, oh, hey, you know, comes out and accepts this. But um, he it looks kingly, and he is the, the, the fulfillment of this request. But even in the beginnings of his kingship, he's not... I keep wanting to use the word presidential because of where we live. He's just not the guy by further study. If you really look at him, he's not the king that we need. Why is that? The, the king is sort of a punishment in the case of the children of Israel. What he's going to do in the next chapters, and especially what he does following chapter 15 are legitimately the consequences for the action of choosing a king over God. And though he had a good start, and though he may have looked the part well, I I really believe that anybody that had been chosen would have run a similar course. There would be negatives outweighing the good. It would be obvious to the children of Israel that they had made a mistake so that what God had said would come true. They would ultimately cry out and say, this is just not, this is not the same as being a children of uh, people led by God. All right, let's move along. First Samuel chapter 12. Samuel at Gilgal, this is after that battle where the Ammonites are defeated and everybody is, is just so enamored of Saul. He is the one. He has led us into battle, uh, very kingly. Samuel gives a great speech. This is his stepping aside and formally saying, this is your king. And in the middle of this just wonderful history, remember what God has done for you in Egypt. Remember how he led you here. Remember how he saved you from this. He gives them a warning again. 
and charges them to obey God. Let me read you verse 12. And when ye saw that Nahash the king of the children of Ammon came against you, ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, behold the king whom ye have chosen and whom ye have desired, and behold, the Lord hath set a king over you. If ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. That's chilling in and of itself. I mean, we all are fairly familiar with the generations who went before this group. Even amongst the judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And before them, the people that would not go into the promised land because they were afraid and did not believe God. And before them, the people that were wanting to go back into Egypt because they wanted cucumbers, you know, and all the other things. And then before them, the people that had, that had lived in slavery. This was just not, not a good pass. And yet, if you, you do not obey the Lord, this will be the result. Um, notice, the people have been charged. You do what's right. If you obey and you follow God, you and your king will be led by God in the right direction. But if you as a people turn, the consequences are yours. God gave them opportunities to see their mistake and change it. God gives opportunities to Saul to see his mistakes over the course of his kingship and make the right choice and be a good king um, but let's continue because he does not take those opportunities. I know I'm giving you like this overview of Saul. Honestly, 30 minutes is not, not a lot of time to talk about this man. He is, he's very deep. Um, the lessons to be learned are hard lessons. Um, I Just a little aside here. I find myself too much in the, the problems Saul has to my shame. And so actually, after this sermon is over, I plan to just continue. I want to keep this study for myself because there's a lot of leadership lessons of what not to do within this, this uh, particular man's life. Chapter 13, this is where he gets his, his first a big um, act of disobedience. He has to go face the, the Philistines, and so he, this is after two years of reigning. He, he feels settled. I'm just going to say that because it's been a, a couple of years now. Surely by now, he is used to the job and the title. It was thrust on him, and I don't think he was worthy of it. I'd also think that he wasn't ready to carry it per se. Um, but remember, those faults and flaws, he had the opportunity to turn those over to God and let God empower him and use him, strengthen him. And then also remember, that he is the embodiment of the wrong choice to f- either follow God or, or make a king. So I, I, I need to, I think, be clear here and not let you think I think he was fated to just make mistakes. He had the choice to be a good king. But ultimately, God knew ahead of time what would happen. Any king is going to be worse than a perfect holy God leading you. Uh, and he will make choices, as I said before, that will fulfill his needs and his interests, and he will put himself over me. And if I can just a little extra parenthetical thing about what God is saying, because you all have done that for all of time, all right? So I know what I'm working with. You flawed people, choose yourselves, uh, is the deal. So chapter 13 he has gathered the people together. The Philistines are, are a large force and mighty and scary. And Samuel is supposed to come out and bless this uh, battle, kind of, before they go out. And it's been seven days, and the children of Israel are really starting to just tremble in their, in their boots there. And Saul is um, an impatient man when it comes to this. And in his mind... He knows this has to happen. I'm about to rationalize this because I've done this. Not sacrifice to the Lord, but been impatient in some similar ways. We need to get this done. We know it's a good thing. We want God to bless this. 
We have waited seven days. And you know, in you know, our Baptist circles, and seven is the number of completion and perfection. Yeah, so Samuel's not here, but it's okay because I've also been anointed by God for a purpose. I'm going to give the sacrifice. I'm going to get God's blessing. And he falls right here. Not in a way, not in a way that is now he's unusable. God has to take his life right here, and God has taken life before. He is not, <laughs> he's not too concerned about, about getting people out of the way to accomplish his purpose. Thinking about the sons of Korah and trying to reestablish the correct um, ways to worship God and things. But Saul gives this burnt offering, and I, the whole time, if I can just interject the emotion, he's like, this is such a great idea. This is so good. We're going to be able to go to the battle now because we have gotten this done. And then uh, it just plays out like my childhood, to be honest. As soon as the burnt offering is done, mom and dad, no, but Samuel shows up. It doesn't, just, it's not just my childhood. It's, it's everything. If I can just wait a little bit longer and, and this will happen. Uh, mine is mostly food oriented. If I can just wait a little bit longer, then we're going to get this. Or um, I can't think of an example now, but this just really resonates with me. Every time that I finally am like, I can't wait any longer, and I do this thing, and it's like, ah, there's the answer. And that's happened to you too, or you're laughing with me. Um, but Samuel shows up, and he immediately is just, what are you doing? <laughs> this is not your job. This is not your position. Um, there have been many sermons preached about this, and there have been many studies done about this. And we know that Christ embodies three roles, prophet, priest, and king. And Saul is often studied in this sort of way. He was allowed to be a prophet for a moment. He was put in the position of king. He was never assigned the role of priest. And this is part of a bigger study of, you know, just... Uh, people who exemplify what Christ will look like in the future. And so, deeper sense, Saul taking on the priesthood as his role, it mars what God would perfectly want to show his people. Saul needs to focus on his own work, right? Be the king. <laughs> Do that right. And he steps out of bounds, and he chooses what he thinks will be good for him at the moment, and he, he offers a sacrifice. Then when he's confronted, he does repent. It doesn't seem sincere. It seems like it's a, a saving face. Uh, even the sacrifice itself seems like a, I need, to, I need to do something. I need to act so that my people see that I am in control of this situation, and it's kind of a save self. But God tells him in this chapter that because of what he's done, because he has overstepped his bounds and has not followed what the Lord has said, he was not willing to wait, the kingdom will not stay with him. That already, which is interesting, God has chosen him a man after his own heart. And we don't even see uh, David show up for a number of chapters. But God has picked him. The kingdom could have been yours forever. That's a hard word for Saul to hear because um, I'll apply it now. I'm going to get to our two verses and apply it to our lives um, as well. But a lot of times when we choose ourself over the Lord, we don't think of eternal consequences. I'm not saying we don't always, but a, a lot of times we even if we're thinking about the consequences of our sin, we're thinking that they're a little bit short-term. You know, God is, God is probably not going to be happy with me, but I have the opportunity to ask for forgiveness as a believer, and then he's going to forgive me, and we're going to move on. But some of these consequences to the things we choose for ourselves over God's will for us have generational impact. And the danger is we don't—the <laughs> danger. Don't sin, obviously, all right? From the pulpit, you've heard it here. Cats are the best and don't sin. 
But the idea that um, we don't have the ability to know which of our consequences will last that way. We don't know what the consequences are. God sometimes tells us, you know, this, <laughs> this is probably what's going to happen to you, um, just a guaranteed. But we still sin presumptuously and take a lot of liberties with God's grace. And so remember, when the Holy Spirit is prodding you, like, we're not supposed to do that. <laughs> there are lasting consequences that you have no control of. And let it be a warning. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, then, after all of that is, is over, Saul goes into yet another battle. It's not going well again. Um, he makes this rash decision to swear everyone to an oath that we're not going to eat. Jonathan has left with his armor bearer, and they're out winning, okay? Um, meanwhile, Saul and the, the, the main group of soldiers are holding out for a, a better position, the victory, they aren't eating, they're getting weaker. And ultimately, Jonathan comes back and he, he has eaten while he was out. And we're not supposed to hang out here. We're supposed to get to 1 Samuel chapter 15. I think I studied too much. He comes back and he's eaten some honey, I think, if I remember correctly. It lightened my eyes. You see how much energy I have? You see how much, you know, I just feel so much better now that I've had food. And Saul has this choice now. One, you know, you got to feed, <laughs> you got to feed people. If you want them to do anything well, they have to have the energy to do it. But he has a choice. Uh, an oath is binding. Um, I think a lot about that. The other leader um, in the time of the judges, I believe, who, who swore an oath that the, if you give me the victory, the first thing that comes out my door, I will sacrifice it. And it's his daughter. Like, don't, <laughs> don't make vows like that. <laughs> don't make vows at all unless it's to your wife in front of God, okay? Um, even Jesus talks about those things. Don't make a vow rashly. Don't make an oath rashly. Because now, said anybody who does this is going to die. Jonathan is the one who's done it. The, the lots that they cast even show that it's Saul or it's Jonathan, and everyone knows Saul's been over here starving, and we see not only a failure as king, but a failure as a father here, because Jonathan says, it was me. I didn't even know about this vow, but I, I have to die. And as a father, maybe Saul should have said, what I did was stupid. And so, <laughs> I just said stupid for the pulpit. I'm so sorry. And I said it again. Okay. I will take the punishment because it was my mistake to even have us do this. But Saul says, May it be done so and more to thee. You will surely die, Jonathan. It's like, Saul, <laughs> you have this moment to be a king who recognizes he's made a mistake and make it right. And the people of Israel that are around, as Jonathan is, as Saul says, all right, well, I mean, I guess, bye. The children of Israel saved Jonathan's life. By backing Saul away from this, this choice, he led his people into sin. Uh, one of the things that they did at this point is that they, they started to eat the, the spoils, the, the meat that they found uh, with, with the blood, which goes against their law. He led his people into sin with his, his silly vow. Chapter 15. We're finally there. Already we're like, oh, Saul is not the guy. Here is where it is totally settled. Where the man of God has to ultimately separate himself from Saul because of what he does here. All right. Notice the beginning of chapter 15. Samuel comes to Saul. It's interesting what we're about to read because if you're the prophet and you're supposed to tell the king what to do, you really shouldn't need to remind the king every time you come give an assignment about what his job is. 
That's what I take from verse 1. The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king people over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. I don't think there, I don't know what the emotion was. I'm reading it in because I know what happens later. But ultimately, he should remember that, right? God made me king. I'm here to serve God. But he has to be reminded. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did. For him, came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And if we wanted to just fill the page, we could just list all the things. But that about covers it, right? If it's a man, I want you to kill it. If it's a woman, I want you to kill it. If it's an old person, if it's a baby, if it's this animal, if it's that animal, if it moves and breathes, it needs to die. Does it get clearer? You know, what about, what about that? Is it breathing? Kill it! Okay, that kind, of, that kind of clarity. I just find it so interesting that Samuel both says, what God is going to tell you to do, do it. And then there's that itemized list. You must do all of these things and do not spare anyone. And just in case you didn't know what do not spare anyone means, I want you to kill this, 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 this. I could do it. (laughs) I understood. But remember that Saul, and this is where we're getting to in verses 22 and 23, worries a lot about himself, puts his interests time and time again, above what God has expressly told him to do and picks and chooses based on what will benefit number one. That's his biggest flaw. That's what we remember him for. And I really think that he's still preserved in this kind of detail in scripture. One, he is the first king of Israel, but really to help us contrast what God's pick does look like when he does what God says. And that's David, barring the times that he failed. We have Saul, who we could hardly figure out anything that was good about him besides he was tall. You know, yes, he helps us at the Jewish Walmart find the top shelf stuff. And then David. So he goes into the battle and he does a very kingly thing. The Kenites are in the way. They helped the children of Israel as they were escaping in the Exodus. And so Saul says, we're about to rout these people. You need to get out of here so that you are preserved. We remember the kindness that you guys showed to our people back when we were leaving Egypt. So flee. That was good. That was compassionate. That was merciful. Very kingly. They start to slay everyone. That is not useful, (laughs) okay? And by the end of the battle, and I'm not even reading you all of 15 because I'm sure you you are at least by now familiar with this part. He has killed most. But the Bible does mention a remnant has escaped. And Agag, the king of the Amalekites, has been preserved for a ransom. And then also the sheep and cattle that will be useful for sacrifice have been saved as well. Without God in the picture, that seems like a reasonable thing as a king. Okay? I've got their leader, so if any of those remnant come back, we've got him. We have to sacrifice all of these animals anyway, so let's just keep these. It made sense from a human, non-following God in an itemized list sort of way. And Samuel shows up. But not until the next day. The Lord lays out what Saul has done to Samuel. He lays out to Samuel what Saul has done. Grammar. And Samuel all night long weeps over this, mourns over the fact that Saul has made this choice. God even says in Scripture, I repent that I have made Saul king. 
in the way that God repents, which we have explained before, but for the sake of the uh, online video, the repentance from sin is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a change. I had this plan. I will accomplish my will by this now, since this has failed. Saul had to be given free will. Saul, Saul was not responsible with free will. And I will have my next leader carry on my purpose. But Saul thinks he did the right thing. Um, let me quickly get us to where Samuel shows up. Saul has gathered up all of the sheep and cattle. He's taken King Agag hostage. He's actually left the side of the battle. He's made himself a monument by the time that Samuel shows up. And uh, Samuel arrives at Gilgal. Samuel says, uh, he doesn't speak first, excuse me. Verse 13, Samuel came to Saul. Saul greets him. This was the other thing I wanted to point out. This is from my childhood too. Saul said unto him, blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Where does this fit in my childhood? <laughs> um, without having to go in the deep, dark history of, you know, Drew's barely surviving childhood because uh, of his own choices, I uh, often would hide all of the stuff I was supposed to clean in my room. This is like the most nebulous thing. Definitely not the worst thing, okay? Um, you're all like, yes, all the seasons, parents are like, that is why we don't even put the bed on a stand anymore. You know, we have solved the cleaning problem by putting the bed on the floor. Now, I would tuck everything underneath. There were drawers that covered that area. Is that my two-minute warning? <laughs> and um, then, distracting. I don't know why I thought this would work. Very childish. But hey, you know, look at this clean thing over here. You know, I, not a thing right there. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know why my whole childhood I tried to find the same place to hide things, but my mom always knew <laughs> that, you know, all right, now pull the drawers out from under the bed, and whatever's under there, you've got to clean it. You know, <laughs> foiled again. Um, but Saul, that's just the energy I see from what Saul said. I've done everything God has commanded. Let's not even talk about what that was because it's done, you know. And Samuel, uh, here's where the sheep kind of throw a wrench in the whole thing. Just, this is again my comic brain. As he's saying it, he's having to fight the bleeding of the sheep. Like it's, they're just so loud <laughs> all of a sudden. You know, what's that? I can't hear you over your failure. Uh, the sheep are right there. Um, I was going to give another story about my cat, Molly. Every morning I have to get up before the household and that Molly, Molly meows, but Molly doesn't always meow, right? But at six o'clock in the morning, when we're trying to make sure Ellie stays asleep and that Savannah can keep having sleep, she is just singing, you know, hey, good morning, you know, and I go, shh, and Savannah's caught me on this. I do it every time and it never stops. We have had six years and every day I shush the cat and every day she meows longer. And I just feel like that's the bleeding of sheep kind of thing. Like, Saul talks louder. Sheep are bleeding louder. The sheep ultimately win. Now, Samuel knows what Saul has done because of how the Lord laid it out the night before to Samuel. But he brings it up. What meaneth then the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the sin which I hear? Saul comes prepared with excuses instead of taking responsibility as a king. They have brought them from the Amalekites. You know, do you hear what you just said, Saul? For the people, the people, mm, spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. All right, let's go back to that command. All the sheep, <laughs> all the oxen, kill them all. All right. Maybe, <laughs> never mind. Danny, I have a joke for you later. All right. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. 
And he said unto him, say on. I feel like Saul honestly has not caught on that he is about to be rebuked again. He thinks he's got it. He thinks that putting himself above what God has said has been rewarded. Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed? Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And then Saul makes this excuse, so we've only captured Agag, so we can keep him for ransom. And then we get to our key verses. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion, as this, as this, he got worked up like me, is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath rejected thee from being king. I have known these verses for a long time. They are worth more to me now after this study, because I've taken them and really looked at. Samuel's very succinct and very strong case. Samuel doesn't, isn't just talking to Saul here. He's actually, not prophetically, what I'm trying to say is he very well explains the nature of God here. For the Jews' time, for our time. That God desires relationship over ritual. I am not saying that we should not be meeting in church or any of those things. This can be taken way too far. What I am saying is, all of the things that we do, one, God has told us to do them for his glory, but they should be a response to the relationship. And I, I forget what commentator. I've been listening to a lot of these people. I've been reading. this. Without that relationship, anything that you can think of to do for God's glory is meaningless, has no value. This, this key verse made it hard to bring this message. That convicts. I do a lot of things, or try to, and I do not always do them for his glory, if I'm being honest. Sometimes I talk myself into thinking I'm doing it. It's a church thing. By nature, it's for God's glory. God sees the heart. So I've wasted a lot of time <laughs> in doing things in myself. He values relationship, and the things that we do should be a reflection of that relationship for his glory. And then the case so strong here. I love how Samuel, what Samuel chose to say to explain. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I don't need us to dig really deep. This is not a trick question. Traditionally, it is believed and it is known that witchcraft derives its source from who? Satan. Do you, in your mind, put rebellion, let's just say, the, the, the choosing of any, any way other than what God has told you to do, do you always equate that with witchcraft? No. We hold, ah, in our circles, we know to stay away from this obviously devil-empowered witchcraft. And I'm targeted to stop at 8.12. Give me six months. Rebellion, when it's in our lives, 
gets sugar-coated, brushed under the rug. We try not to think about it. It is just as bad. Because rebellion and witchcraft share that you're turning away from God's authority and his power, and you're seeking another. So, I've read that a lot of times and glossed over it, unless we're having a conversation about why witchcraft is bad. Well, you know what the Bible says, but then you apply it to yourself. And it's just, I have work to do. I'm nowhere near witchcraft, but I'm all over rebellion, if I think about it. Stubbornness and iniquity and idolatry are very much paired because stubbornness and idolatry are a worship of self over God or for idolatry, whatever you choose over God. It's a rebellion. It's all the same. You either choose God or you choose yourself. Oscar, can you put the slide back up? You either choose God or you, this is why I chose these words, you choose King me. Ha! <laughs> you thought I made a mistake. But it's the truth. It's a hard truth. We, I have a lot of work to do. I assume that you've thought of something in your own life, or you've thought of something that you did battle with, and now you're, you have gotten past it because you did give it up. But this is the fight. Saul lost, lost the kingdom, himself over God, even after, even after this. He says, I'm not going to go worship with you, Saul. I can't. I cannot be with you right now. I will not turn around and go worship in front of the people next to you. And Saul, as Samuel's walking away, grabs his garment, rips the, his mantle, and again, Man, Samuel, now I know he's powered by God to say these things, but he is so good at making a point. Turns to Saul and says, just like this garment's been ripped, the kingdom has been ripped from you. (laughs) I would not feel the same way if I were in Saul's situation, but I'm just like, yeah, tell him. And then I remember that I am in Saul's situation most of the time. And my mistakes have these huge consequences. Danny always shows the picture of the rippling lake, the ripples that I cannot control, that go bigger and farther than I intend. Church. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. As iniquity and idolatry. We need to avoid this in our lives. I will assess we go forward, let us assess that in the things God has called us to do, we obey him completely. Partial obedience is not obedience. That was said by God, but most, most of the time by my mom. <laughs> and then this in our minds. We're either choosing God or we're choosing King me. King me brings nothing but problems. Obeying God brings abundant blessing and we're guaranteed to be led the right way as God perfectly leads us through the challenges we face personally. I'm going to stop it there uh, except for one last thing that Samuel then does what the king should have done. And um, in this, I see this is just as a shameful event very much a disappointed Samuel. I don't know if I'm painting it. That's how I feel about it. Samuel is a set-aside person. He has, God has his ear. He has God's ear. He is not supposed to be leading people into battle. But honestly, looking at the leaders of the field— Samuel's the only one still following God, and so Samuel goes to accomplish the final task, which is queuing Agag in pieces for the crimes he's committed against Israel and the blood he has spilt. But the shame of it is just this idea um, that the holy man 
the one who has to stay clean and has to follow these things in order to be able to even enter into the, the practices of Judaism at that time is now having to pick up the sword and do the dirty work because Saul failed at even that. So, I don't want to be like Saul at all. I want to be like David, mostly. Um, but when I started studying this, I thought to myself, this will be good. <laughs> and then it was like, well, God sent you this because actually you are Saul a lot of times. And so I know I've already summarized what I, my message is. Look for these points in your life where you have rebelled and you either didn't know it or you did and you're just going with it. Find the stubbornness where God has told you to get rid of a thing and you have kept it for the sacrifice, for a good cause, for yourself. And let's get rid of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing me to learn from your word and then share it um, in a way that can be applied right now. Lord, in my own life, I'm guilty of, of being just as stubborn and just as selfish as Saul for choosing my own way. And Lord, I pray that for myself and for the people of this church, we would examine and realign with what you have called us to do and to obey it for your glory to the fullest. Dismiss us, Lord, with your blessing. Keep us safe on the way home. And God, as we go through our week, help this to stay in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.